Please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this evening. We're looking at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes once again. We'll be considering uh, chapter 8 and verses 9 to 17. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 9 to 17. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 9 to 17. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and prolongs his life. Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. Well, it's been almost a month, I think, since our last time in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you remember, we stopped in chapter 8, you know, leaving off with uh, Solomon giving us practical examples of how we are to use that heavenly wisdom and how that heavenly wisdom ought to be guiding us. Um, and he said in verses 2 through 8 that heavenly wisdom right, respects the king and respects the king's authority, even if it's a, a wicked king, because this is what God requires of His people. Yet we ourselves never doing evil, uh, never uh, listening to the command of a king who may tell us to reject God, but but willingly being loyal to a king insofar as we can, right? insofar as we are able, like Joseph or like Daniel, right? knowing ultimately that these wicked rulers that we have to right, serve under, that we are not to be a headache to, but a help to, will ultimately be dealt with by God. Right? Their, their, their wicked and evil deeds will, will ultimately uh, be judged by Him. And so they cannot escape nor deliver themselves from that rightful judgment that will come to them. Right? All the money, all the power, right? all the accolades maybe that they can store up in this world will not extend their lifespan right? one bit when God says, right, it is time for, for, for your time on earth here is over. And so Solomon told us in verses 2-8, to eight, the, the wise man really keeps their head down. Right? They obey God. They listen to the king. And they bear under whatever sorrows come their way even when evil men oppress. 
Now here in verse 9, we read that all this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Now, this could be taken as the conclusion of what was said in verses 2 to 8. But it's also possible that it, it could and should be taken as introducing a new section with verse 10 then being the beginning of the conclusions that Solomon now has come to after having applied his heart to study everything that is done under the sun. And if that's the case, then what he observed when man had power over man to his own hurt, which brought him much frustration in his heart, was this, that he sees evil seems to go unchecked. And the evil that is done on earth oftentimes likewise uh, seems to go forgotten, right, or become forgotten. All right, this is what we're going to look at then with our first point, which really covers verses 10 to 13. And we'll call that point, what man forgets, God remembers. Right, what man forgets, God remembers. In verse 10, again, <clears throat> Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is this also is a vanity. Now, the holy place here is best interpreted probably to be the place of justice. Right? Uh, if you look, if you flip over real quick to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we see Solomon talking about the same, the same thing, wickedness, perversion of justice. Of, of rulers, and, and he says in chapter 3, verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, right? And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And so, uh, it would be called the holy place here because obviously these, these men were servants of God, right? Meant to perform, right, holy duties in the sense of, of executing, right, justice. And so these, these people would, would go in and out of the place of justice, right? supposed to be doing those rightful things, executing justice, but instead they were doing the very opposite. They were doing uh, great wickedness. And yet when they died, they were buried, and, and you would think that Solomon would be happy, perhaps, in the sense that right, their reign of, of terror, their reign of wickedness has ended. But instead, he's vexed by the fact that their wickedness could so easily be forgotten. And once they die, these wicked men who did these wicked deeds could be praised. I've never been to a funeral of someone who was overtly wicked, uh, but I would imagine that if you had been you know, terribly wronged by such a person, that you would not be pleased to hear that at their funeral, everyone going up and, and, and saying what a, what a great person this individual was. Um, I imagine that's how families feel who who have maybe had a son and daughter or son or daughter who's been, you know, murdered. And then you have the perpetrator's family going on the news going, "Why do you paint my son to be such a monster? You know, he he never hurt a fly. He's the greatest son who's ever lived." You know, I, I imagine that's what how angry people would feel that how can you forget all the e- evil deeds that they have done and paint them in this in this picture of of goodness and, and kindness when their life has been so vile. But isn't this what we oftentimes do when people die? Right? We look back at their life with kind of rose-colored glasses, don't we? And we get up there and we, we say all these, these things about people. Many things which oftentimes aren't even true. 
right? But family and friends get up there and just speak. And they, they praise this individual as if they were this saint. When perhaps they lived a, a wicked and, and vile life the entirety of their life. And so Solomon sees this as a, another evidence for the vanity of the world. He goes on, though, to express his frustration with the fact that because oftentimes the legal process is slow against these sorts of people, that many times their crimes go unseen and, and unsolved, and all that does is cause them to continue to persist committing crimes and, and, and continuing to persist in their evil. Because their evil goes unchecked. And isn't this true? That oftentimes, people don't start with, with major crimes. Right? They might start with some sort of petty crimes. And they get away with it. And they do it more and more. And they keep getting away with it. And it emboldens them to, to, to do more serious crimes. Right? Not being dealt justice encourages someone right, to continue to commit those crimes, to continue to, to do those depraved acts because they feel, well, if I haven't been caught by now, I'll never be caught. If I haven't been punished by now, I will never be punished. Yet, Solomon doesn't then conclude, well, if this is the case, let's all do evil, does he? Right? That's not what he concludes. But rather, what does he say in verse 12? Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. Right? Solomon says that even though it, uh, it appears that the wicked prosper, uh, we must continue to, to live our lives fearing God, knowing that it will go well with us if we do. Right? That's heavenly wisdom, isn't it? It's counterintuitive to how we think. It's oftentimes, though, hard for us to make peace with that, isn't it? Uh, we want everyone to, to get what's coming to them. Even if we have to be the, the people to ensure that it happens. I mean, think about why people get angry at the end of movies sometimes. Right? You get angry when the, when the bad guy lives at the end and the, and the good guy dies, don't we? Right? Why is that? Well, because we think that it's the good guy who ought to live the long life and and have the happy life and the you know the white picket fence and all those things and it's the it's the bad person who should you know have boils all over their body and you know and and be afflicted and and die early. But when you look out in the world, as Solomon looks out in the world, what you observe, like Solomon does, is that oftentimes isn't the case, is it? Right? It's not the case. In fact, maybe the most infamous infamous case of this is 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 Christ. Right? Christ who lived a perfect, sinless life, right, was killed at a young age and as a criminal. And it was criminals then who continued to walk around as Christ died. Right? Those criminals who, who brought up those false charges against Him then continued to, to grow and to prosper and to become more rich and gain more authority and more power and more earthly honor among men. Yet what we perceive with our eyes, right, that, that oftentimes the good guys lose and the bad guys win, which can rile us up, uh, should never be the reason why we, why we do or don't do something. Right? The basis for why we do or don't do something ought to always be uh, God's Word. Right? And if we fear God, as Solomon talks about fearing God, 
uh, whatever fear we might have for, for evil men who might oppress us, it's going to be far less than the fear that we have for God. Our understanding that man, yes, may be able to destroy our body, but the God who created us, body and soul, right, is able to do far greater. He's the reason that Daniel's friends preferred the fiery furnace right, than to bow down and, and worship an idol. Because they feared God more than they feared man. And they understood, as we all should understand, that in the end, right, God will right every wrong. Right? You don't have to. Right? God will right every wrong. And what awaits the one who fears God is, is so great that whatever evil man threatens us with should never cause us to, to stray right, from God. and Stop fearing God. This is why even the worst of times, the Christian can and, and ought to be happy. Right? Because we are already victors in Christ. Right? Because we are more than conquerors in Christ. Right? We can be happy even in the worst of times because we know that God is working everything out for our best and whatever results, even if that means death. Right? It means deliverance out of the sin-cursed world. And it means being with, with God in glory. And so, how can we be sad when trouble arises? But the same is not true for the ungodly, is it? Look at verse 13. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Right, we, we look at people today. Or the world looks at people and they prop up certain types of people, don't they? You know, athletes and entertainers and musicians, people who seem to have everything. To have the, the, the money and, uh, and the fame and all of the possessions. But in the end, these people are, are oftentimes miserable people. Uh, Matthew Henry says with respect to, to Solomon saying that their days will be like a shadow, that not only are they that their days uncertain and declining, but they are altogether unprofitable. Right? They are like a shadow. They're empty. They're worthless. They, they will profit these ungodly people nothing. Right? And ultimately, when the end of their life is over, they will experience strict justice. And then, at that time, they will be cut off from true happiness forever, cast into eternal torment because they did not fear God. At the same time, though, I think it is important for us uh, to understand the, the beauty, though, of, of God's patience. Right? Understanding the beauty of God's patience. The beauty of God's long-suffering towards sinners. Right, that He does not give to us exactly what we deserve and when we deserve it. Right, think about this. Uh, you know, consider Saul, for example. You know, Saul stood by in approval as Stephen was, was stoned to death. And at that very moment, God could have very easily struck down Saul, right, returned him to the, to the dust of the earth. Right? But he didn't. And instead, in his perfect timing, what did he do? He redeemed Paul. Which teaches us that we ought to pray for our enemies. Right? That we ought to pray for those who, who hate us and who want to harm us because we have no idea what God may plan to do through them. Right? We don't know if one of them may be an elect that God plans to, to save and to use to do mighty things in His kingdom. But whether they are or they're not, also we are to, 
be encouraged to know that right, nothing that anyone ultimately does will be hidden from God's eyes. Right? What, what man forgets, God will forever remember. And the judge of heaven and earth will always do what is right. And in the end, the wicked will be shown to be wicked and the righteous will be vindicated right, before the entire world. And we have to be fine with that. Right? We have to be fine knowing this, that, that perhaps everything on earth isn't going to happen in the manner that we want it to happen. But the only way that we can have this mindset, a mindset that is guided by true wisdom, is if we trust in God's providence. It's the only way that we can live in that manner is if we trust God's providence. This leads us to our second and our final point, which is trusting in God's providence. Look with me at, at verse 14, please. There is a vanity that takes place on the earth. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this also is vanity. Right? Solomon points out that oftentimes uh, the righteous, that's right, a believer, someone who loves God, fears God, lives for God, who you maybe would think would be externally prosperous, is actually not. And oftentimes it's the wicked person who you think would be externally kind of poor and down in the outs is oftentimes the person who is who is most prosperous. Uh, right? The, 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 the righteous person seems to have the lot of the wicked person. And the wicked person in many respects seems to have the, have the lot of, of the one who, who loves and serves God. And from an earthly plane, conventional wisdom, this seems like vanity. Right? But what the world doesn't understand, what, what much of, I think, even Christianity doesn't understand, is the depths of God's providence. Right? And how incomprehensible they are. Right? And what God does, He doesn't just do for the here and now. Right? We oftentimes think, I want you to do whatever you're doing for the, for the here and now. Perhaps in, if this life was all that there was, we could agree with those people. But God's providence just doesn't have to do with, with now and earth. But God's providence has to do with later and the future and glory and condemnation. Right? The wicked will, will go to hell on that last day. The believer right now who perhaps seems to be stricken will enter into eternal glory forever. The question that needs to be asked though, I think, is, is which do we consider to be the better lot? Right? Right? Which is better? Because I think oftentimes Christians are jealous right, of, of the wicked, of their temporal prosperity, even though we know that in the end they will enter into eternal condemnation and death. But this is one reason why God providentially, though, right, gives the wicked such riches, such success, such fame, all of these things. Right? He, he does it for a purpose, doesn't He? Right? He, he gives them those things so that they would place their, their faith and their trust in them. Right? That they would look to, to those things and love those things and would continue in their unbelief, which only solidifies right? that God will justly condemn them on that last day. Right? The godly are oftentimes dealt blow after blow after blow. Why? Well, one reason, providentially speaking, is this, that God knows that if we were in the place of the wicked, if we had all the things that we had, that they had, that perhaps we would be just like them. Right? That we would be puffed up. 
That we would forsake God. That we would trust in these things and in ourselves. And so He, he humbles us oftentimes by giving us little. Right? By bringing us affliction and, and sorrows and suffering to, to keep us in Him. Right? There are so many reasons why God does things. But in the end, we simply have to believe that God knows who are His. God knows who are not. And for those that are His, everything that we are suffering, everything that we are going through, everything that we are enduring, is what is best for us. Not only now, but for glory. This is why in verse 15, Solomon commends joy. Look with me there. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and to drink and be joyful. For this will go well with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Solomon's commendation sounds a lot like James chapter 1, verse 2, doesn't it? Right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You see, Solomon's saying is that even when the wicked appear to be winning, that we are to be joyful. Right? That even though sometimes things look back, backwards to us in this life, that we are to trust God. That we are to rejoice in God. That we are to rejoice that His will is being done. We are to rejoice that His purposes are being worked out. Rejoice in the good gifts that He has given to us for the time that we have them. Right? Rejoice even in the things that we don't like. Not because we enjoy suffering or pain, but, but rather we rejoice in what God is producing in us through those things. But this can only happen, brothers and sisters, when we live in light of the cross. Right? When we see Christ crucified and we see God's providential hand in the crucifixion. Right? In the sending of His own Son to, to die for us. And then trust that He who providentially did that for us is the God who is on our side right? in this life now. And when we see things this way, we'll be fine with Solomon's conclusion then, won't we? Right? What does Solomon say in verses 16 and 17? When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the uh, business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. What is Solomon saying? Solomon says, I've applied myself with my wisdom as the most wise person that God has created to study all the things under the sun that I may understand what's going on in this world. That I might understand why things happen the way that they do. And you know what Solomon concluded with? After all of this time, using all of my wisdom, I've concluded that man can't know. Right? That man can't know. And isn't that true, brothers and sisters? I mean, oftentimes, we just don't understand why things happen the way they do. Perhaps in one situation, we feel like we're deserving of something negative and we get something positive. In another situation, we, we think we ought to get something positive in this situation, and something turns out very negative for us. But we have to chalk that up to, to God's ways are not our ways. Now, for the unbeliever, that's not good enough, is it? The unbeliever wants an explanation for everything that happens, don't they? You want me to believe in God? I need an explanation for all these things. But think about this. If there were not questions, 
If there, if there were no mysteries, would God really be God? If, if man can know everything that God knows in the manner that God knows it, what kind of God would He be? He'd be just like you and I. And so we ought to take comfort in knowing that God is not like man. That God does not make mistakes. That He is not think like fallen and fallible man. That He doesn't repent of His decisions. And when He makes His decisions, He makes them with perfect knowledge of all things. And this should be a source of much praise then for believers. Understanding that nothing is left to chance. right? Nothing is purposeless that happens in the world or in our lives. When Paul talks about the mystery of the salvation of, of Israel in Romans chapter 11. If you remember, as he brings it to conclusion in verse 33, he declares, Oh, the, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. And so even when we grow confused or frustrated by things around us, may we not forget that God has given us heavenly wisdom. Right? May we use that wisdom here on earth. Right? May we use it to recognize times and seasons. May we use it, it, allow it to enable us to rejoice in the day. Right? Knowing that God will remember everything. And that we can trust in God's providence. And the God who has ordained all things is also the God who will bring them to their very end. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You are so gracious and kind and merciful to Your people. Uh, we thank You for leaving us uh, such truth to uh, feast upon. Uh, we pray, Lord, that even this evening and throughout the week, You would uh, help us to continue to consider these words. Uh, consider uh, who You are in light of these words to to teach us our need to, to trust in You uh, here and now. That we will not know everything that happens. Everything that transpires in life may not make sense. But ultimately, we can rest in knowing that, that You, who are Creator of, of all things, uh, are doing what is best for Your people. And You are doing what will bring You ultimately uh, the most glory and honor. And so, Lord, we, we ask that You would give us then hearts to rejoice. right? Rejoice in, in poverty and rejoice in prosperity. Uh, rejoice in sickness and rejoice in perfect health. Uh, knowing uh, that this is what is best for us, not just now, but it's what's best for us because it is preparing us for future glory. And so, Father, we come before You this evening. Uh, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.